everybody, welcome to Tech Thoughts, a show about tech advice, a short how-to, and why you should care. This is season four, episode five, or overall episode 49, and I'm back to saying the overalls, because every time I didn't, you told me it sounded wrong. You should wear some overalls. Oh, I'm, I'm Jade. I'm the, I'm the smart one who said it was being said wrong. I'm Art. I'm the cute one who would apparently look cuter in overalls. You would. Disclaimer, we are both smart and cute. So, now that we've finally moved past the history episodes, it's time to see what the rest of this gaming arc has in store. And we have plenty in store. But before we get to that, uh, but before we get to that, I have to plug our after show. You can find us live on our Instagram at Tech Thoughts Podcast every Friday at 8 p.m. ET. We've been a little inconsistent lately, but we promise we are working on it. Um, you could also find us at our website where we can't be inconsistent because we literally just renewed the domain, so it's not going anywhere. And our website is, Jade? Techthoughts.gay. That's technically not true, but I'll do it right now. Yeah, and with that out of the way, we can get into today's episode topic, which is arcade cabinets. So, we've already filled you in on the history of video game consoles, and you know when the first console was released. 1972, the Magnavox Odyssey. But it wasn't the first commercially available video game device. That honor went to Computer Space, released in 1971. In fact, it was the first commercially produced arcade cabinet, and it looks, well, a little curvier than the ones you might think of, less boxy, but it is recognizably an arcade cabinet, or maybe an Among Us character. I don't know, I, I kind of like it, honestly. Atomic Age styling! Um, so yeah, it was an arcade machine, but like with flat buttons, there were no joysticks to be found, but it was still the first. And since then, arcade cabinets have gained far more in the land of feature sets, game selection, and control schemes, and even power. On that note, most of the generational improvements from each video game console generation, past 1984, um, are easily applied to arcade cabinets as well. Mostly because a lot of arcade cabinet hardware, at least from two of our big names, Sega and Nintendo, um, made devices based on their console hardware. As an example, the Nintendo Verse System arcade platform was released in 1984. Its hardware was based on the Famicom, which was released in 1983, um, and it converted some of the games for the Famicom into two-player co-op games, which is also likely why the NES eventually did make it into North America in, in 1985, just because Nintendo had a presence through their arcade cabinets. Uh, yeah, and this is a pattern that continued until the release of the Triforce, a platform based on the Nintendo GameCube. And surprisingly, the games can be played even on a GameCube emulator, uh, like Dolphin, which we will talk about in an upcoming episode where we focus on emulators. It was built with Sega's help. Of course, that was after the death of the Dreamcast. Rip to the Dreamcast. It really could have been something great. I'm so sad about the Dreamcast. I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. I've never met anyone who is sadder about the Dreamcast than you. Like I it, want it is. one so bad. I'm sorry. It's fine. <sighs> Sega's been developing arcade cabinet boards for far longer than Nintendo. Actually, they still do make them. They, for a period of time, also used their own console hardware as a platform, but not at first. The arcade designs originally influenced their console ones. The System 16 and 18 platforms were the basis for the Genesis, uh, the 1986 release. And then we kind of return to norm after that, where Sega does build a lot of their arcade boards based on the Genesis, because it's its complete version of the hardware, um, before wholly switching to a console-influenced arcade model. As an example, the Sega Naomi, the last of their console-based designs, shared architecture with the Dreamcast. Here we are again. I'm still sad about it. Poor Dreamcast. But like these days, arcade cabinets are often built with modern PC-style hardware. 
So a lot like consoles now. Specialization isn't really needed when you have high-performance general-purpose computers. So this is the part where we admit that this is not just a history episode. This is a return to the how-to style. So how do you get one for yourself? Well, when you think arcade cabinet, you probably want to get yourself a big old box, something you can stand at for those classic vibes. You have a few options. You could buy yourself a whole cabinet from a retailer such as ArcadeOneUp.com, or you could build one yourself. There are a few great guides on how to do this. Uh, LTT, uh, Mr. Mr. Tech Tips, our dear friend, who we don't actually know in person, no. um, and have just completely cultivated a parasocial relationship with over the course <laughs> of this podcast, um, has a DIY arcade cabinet video that we will link on our website. Uh, and there are also other guides scattered along the internet. So we won't specific, so we won't go into the specifics on how to do that exactly, especially because it's probably not going to be very helpful to hear it explained without a visual component. And this is a podcast. But we will tell you how you can source parts for something difficult, like DDR cabinets. Yeah, okay, this episode was one long excuse to talk about DDR controllers. So, if you want to build yourself a DDR machine, by the way, this is coming from someone who does not like DDR very much, so this would be fun. <laughs> okay, I love DDR, so we'll, we'll at least get to balance it out. I mean, I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm god-awful at it. I am not good at DDR, but I enjoy the concept of DDR. Let me rephrase. Same. I suck at DDR. It is fun in concept. Um, but yes, if you want to build a DDR machine, which is totally an arcade-centric thing and therefore totally counts for this episode, we, we, we promise, um, you need a few things. Uh, first, of course, you can use a computer to run something like Stepmania, a free dance and rhythm game software that is open source, which is a thing we tout on this podcast very often, which means it's free and you can see how the code works and you can edit it yourself. And those are all wonderful things. Also, you might be wondering... Do you need a high-powered computer for it? No, it's not graphics intensive. You can use an old Windows 7 computer. You can use a laptop, um, which again brings us back to the control scheme because that is the most complicated part of this whole setup. Um, if you want a good old step-style DDR-y controller, you have a few options. So you can always use an Xbox controller, but really that is not what you're going to do if you want to play Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> not tap for tap, please go away. Uh, the first thing that might come to mind is something like a soft pad. If you ever had Dance Dance Revolution Mario Mix for the GameCube, well, you can use that included soft pad with a GameCube adapter. Um, there are also ones for things like the PlayStation 2 that you can adapt or the Xbox 360, etc., etc. They kind of suck. That's so bizarre to think of. Hmm? That's so bizarre to think of. Why? I don't know. It's just... <laughs> Let's hear it. No, I really don't know how to explain it other than the fact that there was the game called Dance Dance Revolution Mario Mix. Like, that alone, that alone just wins so many absurdity points. I had it. I sold it to GameStop like a fool when I was a youngin'. It's worth so much I'm money. I'm so sorry. It's fine. I'm so sorry that you were scammed by GameStop. What did they give you for it? Two pennies and like a, a, a half-eaten banana? I had $100. I traded in so many games. I traded too many games. I traded like 100 high-quality, worth more than their weight in disc today games. And I got $100 that I used to buy a PlayStation Portable. <laughs> I'm so sorry that GameStop scanned you. I feel like you should be entitled to financial reparations. Look, it, it made me play Final Fantasy Crisis, uh, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core at some point, so I'm uh, I'm I'm not too hurt. It's a good game. Fair enough. Um, I am hurt, but I'm not too hurt. Anyway, whatever. Point is, soft pads suck, according to the DDR. According community. to the DDR community. <laughs> yeah, so don't kill us for this opinion, but they suck, apparently. 
They can be modified to suck slightly less by sandwiching them between a harder surface like plywood and a vinyl layer, plus combined with raising the pad section slightly. We'll have a video linked for you in the not description. The end result will probably look a little janky, but it apparently does work way better than a soft pad by itself. And soft pads are fairly cheap compared to the alternatives that we'll talk about. We mean it when we say they're cheap. A soft pad can run you around $50 or less if you stick with a first party Konami one, which might be your best bet in this class. Then, well, you move to hard pads, you know, if you want that arcade feel. They're big and heavy and you're going to need a dedicated space for them. And now I'm just really thinking about designing a whole DDR room, but I'm not that kind of person, so I really shouldn't do that. We'll make a gaming room. It'll be fine. We'll have my retro consoles. The Dreamcast will be there. <laughs> the... the d- <laughs> You want a you want a software you want a software engineering job that pays you a hundred k so you can buy a Dreamcast like that's your big that's your big goal. No, I want to buy myself a mint condition Dreamcast. Go on about the the hard pads, please. Of course. So, if you want, actually, you could buy a real arcade pad, like a real DDR pad, uh, and then modify it for computer usage, which is not really easy, actually, but. You'll get the arcade experience, and then they get sold for about like $800 or so. Um, none of this is going to be cheap, by the way, as we go forward. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is the expensive territory. If you want something that will work just as well as an actual arcade pad um, with no actual modification and is meant to already work with a computer and is cheaper than a real stage, just you can get yourself a Cobalt Flux Pro platform. They are difficult to get. They sell out very quickly but are available on eBay for around $400 to $650 used and are built like tanks. So like, even if they're used, they're probably fine. If you want something cheaper than that, and if you live in Poland or the EU, you can get yourself an LTEC pad. Shipping cost is really terrible to the United States, but they're high quality. Again, we will link a website for these things uh, as we go on. So don't worry, they're all in our not description. But if you want something stupid high-end, if you're feeling real gamer today, folks, well, <laughs> Step Maniacs exists and offers their own fancy stages. They're great and $1,500. But, but they have RGB built in. And by RGB, I mean programmable displays in the steppers. Okay, that is really cool. That is really cool, right? <laughs> um, that is That is absolutely worth the money. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say it wasn't. I just said it was $1,500. It is a lot of money. Yeah. Though, if you want to save money, you can always build one yourself. As long as you're handy with tools like a soldering iron. And we appreciate cool DIY projects here. This is actually just Jade trying to justify her future purchase of a soldering iron. Uh, But DDR Pad offers a Cobalt Flux style kit for around $250. Apparently it's an exact reproduction minus the graphics and therefore would work pretty well. A lot of work, but cheap and a good option if you can handle it. Want something more like a DIY Step Maniacs pad? Well, it's doable. There's a project called Reflex Dance, an open source dance pad that allows you to build a high quality platform with minimal tools and readily available parts. So naturally, if you want a DIY, we'll point you that way. I, I, it is a task. It is a task that you are embarking on if you choose to do that. It is, Uh, but it'll be so cool. I mean, yeah, it'll be very cool and, like, more power to you for saving money, but, like, Jesus. Hey, look, if I had the tools, buy me a soldering iron. If you had the <coughs> soldering iron that you... Buy okay. me a soldering iron, I'll make you a DDR stage. 
oh, we've turned into buy me a soldering iron, not <laughs> I'm eventually going to buy myself a soldering iron. I see. I see how it is. I think it would be nice. I buy you nice things. That's fair. I don't feel like you've ever bought me a, so- a something. How, how expensive is a soldering iron? Can we can we can we can we can we can we account for that expense in, in this entire in this entire budgeting process? How expensive is a soldering iron? Um, prices vary. The ones I've been looking at um, are the uh, T100 and T80 uh, soldering irons, which are these nice little digital ones that run off a USB-C power delivery supporting power bank or adapter. Yeah, so like a TS-80P, that's what that's what doing. It's a TS-100, TS-80P. Sorry, I got the numbers wrong. Uh, a TS-80P is like a hundred bucks. Okay, that's cheaper than I was expecting you to say. That that that's actually a pretty fair price. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I doubted you soldering irons. <laughs> you can get much cheaper ones, but um, for what it is, like it lets you avoid needing to get things like a dedicated power supply. Because like the benefit of those is you can use like a here we go advertising the benefit of those is you can use like a U- like your existing usb power banks so like it's both portable and also if you have a modern like laptop that uses usb pd you have something to power it and you guys to understand that this is not like a, a a front jade puts on for the podcast she just constantly talks like an infomercial where she's I, trying to sell us all things i'm sorry i have sold my partner so many things everyone so many things you you have sold us so many things you should be sponsored we should be sponsored for the amount of things that we plug on this podcast but i guess it's canceled out by the sheer amount of things we shit on so hey, so if you are impressed by the way i delivered that please feel free to send your business inquiries to techthoughtspodcast at printonmail.ch I forgot we had an email address, but yeah, there you go. And on that note... That's all the time we have for you guys today. This is a really cool long-term project, I'm not gonna lie. I don't know if if I ever have a forever home, uh, if this is something I would do, but I... It's cool. It's It's a cool thing to think about. And if anyone out there wants to try it, uh, please send us pictures. Like we, we would genuinely love to see. Uh, we would genuinely love to see it. Uh, please send us pictures. We would genuinely love to see it. It's just, it's just really cool. I, I, I miss going to arcades. But yeah, uh, that was arcade cabinets. The next episode that we have will be the one on emulators, right? Yes. The next one is planned to be on emulation, and then after that, uh, well, you'll see. I know what it is, yeah. but I can't tell them. Oh, and the next episode you will be hearing probably will be a minisode on what is it is it the power line one i think it's the power line one yeah yeah you get to get more home network stuff y'all it's been a while yeah with all that said one more time for the social media plugs you can find us on our instagram at tech thoughts podcast where we're live every friday at 8 p.m et circumstances notwithstanding or you can check out our website especially if you want to see some videos for some more tangible how-to than we can really give in this sort of audio only format yeah you can check out our website for those and our website is jude techthoughts.com question mark yes um and we will see you guys next week bye bye